0: Welcome back to More To It, where I talk to athletes, entertainers, and unique folks to find out the stories beyond public perception. Looks are deceiving, and there's nothing simple to achieving. I'm Marcellus Wiley, and today I want to talk to you about perseverance. Many people, especially in the sports field, come from humble beginnings, and it's easy to look over that and chalk it up to being a part of life. But in this episode, we really dive deep into those real, real, make or break challenges and what it looks like to choose success by any means sean merriman better known as lights out shares with us the real stories not only behind his nickname but behind the pain that the name was birthed. how does one channel their emotions into their passion how does a child grow to reconcile with circumstances like homelessness a lack of food and poverty how does anyone overcome living in survival mode to thriving in the NFL not only as a rookie with his own brand but as rookie of the year on top of it all the answer for Sean Merriman was football and determination my guy Sean lights out Merriman how's it going brother what's up my dude How are you? I'm doing great, brother. I know a lot more about you now than I did even when I saw you this weekend because of Wikipedia, brother. I had to do my homework on you, Sean. And let's start where it all started for you. Growing up in Maryland, single family home, your mother raised you.
1: Talk about how your mother raised a man. Well, you know, the the first part of it, man, um... You know, you don't understand how tough and and what they had to go through until you're an adult yourself. And right. I got a 12 year old son. So now you're you're oblivious to everything then. And then you start to appreciate it stuff more and more as you get older. Um, And I grew up in Prince George's County back when, you know, it was bad. I mean, Mm. I would say about seven, eight minutes from me with uh, murder capital of the of the country for almost 10 years straight in the Washington, D.C. area, like right right. Not too far from me. Um, and so you look back on the things that what she sacrificed um for us at that time, man, and and you you started to be more and more thankful. Not only did she sacrifice, man, but it made you feel good that you had somebody because my my dad wasn't around. My dad wasn't in the picture. So she in a sense was my my mom and my dad. She took that place. And you don't understand how important that is until you get old enough to appreciate it.
0: Yeah. What did you feel in those moments, uh, the voids, the absence of your father being raised by
1: your mother? You know, what saved me, to be honest, is uh, my coaches, you know, from the from my boys and girls club coaches to my high school coaches. My coaches really kind of stepped in and filled that void that I didn't have. They, nobody can fill the void of your actual dad. I don't, I don't care mm. how great your coaches are, or how, mu- how big of an influence they are in your life. Nobody's actually gonna be your father. And I can say that because I I'm a dad now myself. So ain't no coach ever gonna fill my place. But in the in the grand scheme of things, they took that that man figure that I was looking for to have in my life by taking me in. I mean, at that age, nobody knew I was going pro. Nobody knew I was gonna be, you know, lights out and have, you know, accolades and a success. Um, and they did it because they they saw something in me outside the football field. And I I can't even I can't even be thankful for that enough because who knows um, where I could have ended up if something like that didn't happen. Yeah, man. I mean, you grew up in an environment like that. And also,
0: you lose that balancing act between having that nuclear family and your mother and father there, and your mother doing as, as much as she could at the time. But you're taking hits to your security, and you're also taking some hits to your stability. And then you guys, not once, but twice, had fires happened to the point where you're homeless talk about not only did you lose your father growing up in his absence but you also lose your home
1: yeah that that was one of the toughest times man i had so when i was 11 years old um my babysitter had uh witnessed a murder in our neighborhood and so the three brothers who you know end up you know murdering this guy in our neighborhood Wanted to come and do something to her. Just so happened it was it was our building where we lived at. Um, so they threw one of those Maltof—I I can't pronounce it—those those cocktail bombs,
0: Malatov cocktails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- yeah,
1: they threw one of those through the window um, because they were, you know, obviously trying to kill her. And so we were there, and we had to get out of the building. We got out. Me, and my sister, we were out the building. But it's a four-year-old girl who burned right there in her sleep, and you know, I seen that at eleven years old. And so you know, thank God she never woke up and never experienced any pain, but to see something like that um can really affect you as a as a kid, and you don't understand these things that you were affected then until you get older and realize that that's not normal. Those things aren't. you're not supposed to see that as an eleven year old kid so um you know that that was the first time we actually were homeless because of that. The second time um we were homeless is uh we we got a eviction notice on the door. My mom couldn't pay the bills. They cut our light and gas, electricity off. Um, And so the the house was cold. It wasn't lit. And my mom had lit a candle um, on top of my TV in my bedroom. And I I left because it was cold in the house and we had no heat, no lights. I went to stay down about a mile down the road at a friend's place because they had food. They had heat and all those things that we didn't have. And I got a call about four o'clock in the morning to my friend's mom saying that the house had burned down. And I ran you know, ran home a mile and saw it and half the house was practically burnt. And so uh, at that point, you know, we went and we sleep in the back of the cars, me and my sister, uh, with my mom. We went to shelters and we had to do the whole thing, ask food for churches. We were dependent on so many other places. And then that's when my high school coaches took me in. And like I said, um, who knows where I could have ended up if, if that didn't happen. Because at that point, you become in survival mode. And from where I'm from, when you get in survival mode, you start venturing off in things that you shouldn't be doing.
0: Yeah, critical time, man. And so upsetting, all those circumstances that you had to deal with, especially at such a young age. And you're feeling all these emotions, I'm sure, all over the spectrum in terms of feeling the love from your mother and her doing as much as she could. But at the same time, being real, you guys are just having – a case of the bad luck after bad luck. So then these coaches take you in. You're in survival mode, but how do you go from survival mode
1: to actually thriving and directing that energy positively? Well, you know, it was times that I was at practice, you know, practice two hours long or whatever, and it was my getaway from everything that was going on. But you knew as soon as you walked off that field, you might walk home and do eviction notice. You might walk home to no food there. You might walk home to your lights being off. And so- Reality set back in when you walked off the field. Now, when I moved in with my coaches, that was the first time that I actually experienced a very normal childhood. Right? I had—I remember the first time um, he had—he had cereal, right? And I, I went through two boxes of cereal in two days. I ate all his cereal <laughs> up because that was. Yeah, that was like my first time. Like, hold on, I can, I can eat cereal, not, you know, not get my ass whipped forward or, right. you know, something because we had one <laughs> box of cereal between me and my sister and my mom. That would, If you went through it within a week, that was it. And I ate two boxes of cereal in two days. But we still laugh about this whenever I talk to him. But that was my first time getting a chance to experience normalcy and what it is to come home and have food there um, and have a normal lifestyle. And, and that really opened my mindset up to different experience. And I started to think different, that they that life, life should be this way. It shouldn't be that way. So much of this is mapping on to kind of the outsider's view
0: of a football player, like the mental makeup, the circumstances that make a football player oh, from a single family home, impoverished, has to deal with all these emotions, and he takes it out on the football field. Was it that simple for you as well?
1: For the, for the most part, it was. And and uh, and actually, in fact, uh, the first time my sophomore year at uh, Frederick Douglass High School and and, and uh, up in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, while I went to high school, um, I remember my sophomore year they they put a camera in my face, or in a reporter there um, from ESPN because I was getting some some national you know notoriety. Hold on, ESPN in high school? You yeah, said? yeah, it was like a like a blog or something from from ESPN. My dog. Um, and I think I was you know, I, I was. Coming onto the picture, I, I just got a, a verbal offer from the University of Maryland. So I was getting some notoriety in the country. And uh they asked me, they said, Hey, why do you um why 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 do you play football? And I looked at the guy, not having any media training, nothing. I said, Hey, I could do anything I want to somebody and not go to jail. <laughs> right. So I was like, <laughs> Strike that from the record. I was, yeah, I was like, I'm glad they picked that back up because I would have looked like a psychopath back then. But yeah. I think what I was trying to say as a kid was I was going through a lot, and that was my outlet. That was that was how I got everything off my chest because that's the two hours of my day that I didn't have to worry about everything else that was going on, and so I didn't realize that was uh, be me kind of venting out. At that time, but looking back on it now, was, I was just speaking from what I was going through.
0: Yeah, you can feel it. Like that rage is boiling up, but you just don't see the bubbles just yet. But you're, you're having an outlet now to take this out, this frustration, this anger that you're dealing with. When did you realize on the field? You were special. When did you start to get that notice and that notoriety?
1: It, it it happened at a very young age, man. Even before, um, even before high school, I was I was known as a, as that guy. I didn't have the size yet. I had the mentality. I wanted to hit everybody. Um, I remember I came you know, my freshman year in high school, and I was late, and I missed like a practice or two a training camp, and I got there, and all the coaches was pissed off at me. And like basically who do you think you are? You're showing up, you missed practice and all this stuff. Whoop a hey kid, what a position you want to play. I said, coach, I don't care. I just want to hit somebody. <laughs> and they, they got quiet. Everybody looked at each other like, yep, whoop, get us some pads, right? And everything, everything was forgiven. So um I, I think I I think I realized that in myself early that I had this um, this 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 confidence of, and it wasn't a confidence I thought I was better than anybody. I, I just knew my that I was gonna work. I knew I was going to work and my confidence bred from my work. And so um, I figured it out. And then once I started to get some size and speed behind me from my and along with the mentality that I had, that's when the whole, you know, big hits and the Lights Out stuff came because I I grew into my size. Yeah. Now Lights Out came, didn't just come. Something happened. How
0: would you get the nickname Lights Out?
1: I, my my uh, my sophomore year um, in high school, I knocked out four kids in one game, four kids um, in
0: one yeah. game in one high school. Game. Yeah. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. Boy, you were mad. I remember I was I was angry. I was angry. Um, I remember after the game, I had 20, you know, 20, 25 students coming up, run up to me after the game and said, man, you knocked those those kids lights out. And I was like, yeah, call me lights out. Not thinking that it was going to like stick the way it did. And this is pre-social media, pre-YouTube you know, YouTube and all this other stuff. I remember getting to school Monday, and I got my bag, book, book bag on and uh, got my books in my hand. And everybody kind of walking by me like, yo, what's up, lights? So I, it caught on that quick that Monday in school. Um, I then went to my mom that day. And when I got home from school, I'll never forget. She was in her room smoking a cigarette. Room was cloudy. Couldn't see nothing in there. And I'm going in there doing this. I said, mom. I said, mom, mom. I said, I want to get this light. I want to get a lights out tattoo on my right forearm. And her exact words, like, boy, close that door get the hell out of here. Right. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, me, I'm just persistent as hell. The next day I came after school, mama, and, you know, she, every day she would tell me, get out of the room, stop asking. And like the, two weeks into it, uh, she finally took me uh, to get the lights out uh, hand and light switch on my right forearm. And, and that whole thing started from there.
0: Man, that's amazing. I remember being a professional athlete and getting consumed with some younger level player, Sean Merriman, who had a brand and was all baller. And being a former Charger like I was, and they drafted you 2005. Talk about that draft experience and how you felt coming from those humble beginnings, being homeless, all of these anger issues, finally realizing into an NFL dream.
1: Well, it it was... So it was a process in that. Right. Um, and then when I went to the University of Maryland and I got around like other other students and, and, and kids who had good upbringing, both parents in the household and just, you know, different ethnicities. I mean, where I came from, we didn't see Asian. We didn't see, you know, anybody from the Middle East and any other ethnic ethnic group wasn't in my neighborhood. It was predominantly black. So, you know, I got a chance to experience other cultures for the first time and being around other other people. And so my mindset says, I just started to open up and, and start looking at everything. And so I got really smart then in understanding of rel- different religions, everything. I was just, just completely open to seeing different things that I didn't see growing up. So by the time I got to the NFL, I was already cultured, if that makes any sense. Like my mind was, all, I was already open and I didn't have the same type of anger anymore because, you know, I was eating at the cafeteria every day. I had, we had Pell Grant money. We had, you know, so dorm room and, 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 you know, good lifestyle and stuff on campus. And so my mindset was already kind of transitioned out of being that angry kid that went through all that stuff. Now, what happened was, what I did bring along, I learned how to play as this angry kid. So, like, that's the only, that's the only way I knew, right, is to try to knock somebody out, push through everything, you, no complaining going all out, right, 100% or nothing. So that mentality is how I grew up and how I learned how to play the game. So I, there was no turning from that no more. That was just – that was me from that point on, even though I didn't have that same anger and rage that I did as, a, as that young kid. Um, and so that that part of me kept – that part of me stayed. And, you know, since I got uh, – you know, in the NFL, you get getting your money for the first time. you experience all this stuff for the first time. Your culture now, now your mindset, and you're looking at different things across the board. And I was, I was just a completely different, you know, person at that point. Man, talking about the
0: balance of that, keeping the good, and then also enhancing it with some greatness. You hit the ground running, brother. Like it was lights out hello in the NFL. And most guys have to go through that maturation process, learn the game speed, get acclimated to the to the men instead of the boys. But you became Rookie of the Year, and every year it seemed like Sean Merriman had an impact. Talk about that experience. Like, okay, I'm supposed to be the guy that has to learn something, but I'm out here dictating terms. Um,
1: you know who I – I, I got to give credit to, like, some people um, who was important. And not only just the learning curve, but also the experience of being around that is LeVar Arrington. Um, so LeVar, when he got drafted then to the Redskins, um, you know, I convinced his younger brother to come and play high school basketball with me at Douglas. And so me and LeVar, you got really, really close. You know, LeVar would come to my football games, he would come to my basketball games. Obviously his brother played there and I would hang around LeVar a lot. So I would do everything from, I would go meet LeVar in this hotel room whenever they played. And I would sit there and look at his playbook like before. And I would hang, I would hang with LeVar. LeVar would damn, they had to kick me out of his house in Virginia because I was, I didn't want to leave. Uh, I, <laughs> and he had cereal. Yeah. And, and, and he had cereal, and, you know? And so, um, it was also, I wasn't shocked at the lifestyle, right. Cause I already been around it. And, you know, I, I, I credit LeVar for a lot of things because he, he did stuff that he didn't have to do and kind of pushing his knowledge and, and, and spending time with me because in high school, no one knew I was going to go to the, NFL and do all this stuff yes potential but nobody knew that um and so by the time I got to and I was working with him and, and getting pointers from him uh and so that kind of sped up the learning curve um also too in, in college uh, I played with Ray Lewis's brother Keon Lattimore so I was around Ray a whole lot too so I, I had man you talking about somebody who had the package and and was like the I had the experience of the sped up learning curve. That was that was me. So I had all this stuff ready packaged, like ready to go, because I've already experienced the work ethic. Um, you know, just being around the spotlight and being around. Hell, man, Lavar used to have a G wagon, right? G Lavar used to drive his G wagon up on on our field in the high school games, and I would look over during the game like I'm getting, I'm getting me a G wagon. Like that's the coolest. That shit look cool. That's all I need, right? I'm get, I'm, right, I'm right. doing a G wagon. And so what i do when i got my money i went to go buy a g-wagon cuz lavar and so you know when you have that kind of effect on somebody it um it, it it just i didn't feel like i i didn't feel like a rookie coming into a team that you know i was 20 years old when i got drafted now um what was a culture shock is going in with ladanian and philip and uh, gates and jamal williams lorenzo neal McCordell, McCardell like, you walk in there with Randall Godfrey Donnie Edwards I'm like oh sh-, you know you you, you experienced that but I never um I never felt like I was the rookie that was inexperienced yeah
0: man being around all those linebacker greats obviously helped groom you and you did have the package and I'm an outsider at this time yes I'm a former charger and you're a current charger and I just remember you having that impact and playing similar positions. You were a linebacker, but you were a rush in for many of those plays coming off the edge. And I was like, damn, I thought I was good. This dude is next level and he's young. But then you you faced adversity. Having that package from the outside, I'm like, oh, got caught with performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, Talk to your boy because I'm sitting on the outside like, yep. come on, dog. You're too good to be doing that. Yeah. What was happening and what were you doing at that time?
1: Yeah. So, uh, during the off season from my first to my second year, um, I was taking a supplement just from over the counter, just v- regular vitamin shop or whatever. And what happened was they had added this on the list. Right. And so every year when they used to bring in before start a training camp, they would have a new list or whatever. I would ball that thing up, man. And I would put it in my locker. I'm like, same. You know, if it ain't, if it ain't steroid, if, if if it, you know, I'm thinking steroids, you like injecting something in your ass. That's what I always assumed that steroids was. I didn't know that it was anything else because we don't come from that. Like I, I hear about some cats and stuff that were, you know, started taking performance enhancing in high school. I'm like, Dude, we, we, we couldn't for, afford food, like let alone buying some steroids. Like that was out the That was out the question to even think like that. And so, I did notice that they had put something on it when I got hit. So um, right before training camp between my first and second year that I tested right before training camp and it came out after the first game, after we played the Raiders. Now at this point, I've been tested almost, I was tested 19 times uh, from my, from coming in there until that point, 19 times, never a problem, never anything because it wasn't on the ban list. It wasn't there. And so I got a letter right after we played the Ra- Raiders game, no six. I had a I had like four or five sacks, Monday night football, killed it. I got in the locker room the next day and I got the FedEx in there. Mm, money. So so I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, damn, they find me that find Fines don't come to the following week. You don't you don't, really don't get the fine to the following week. I know that. And so I opened it and it was a, a letter from the NFL, from Lombardi, or Lombardo, Lombardi, if I said that right. This and this, you tested positive. This, 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 this. And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking this, this is some kind of joke or some somebody playing around, right? So I go in there, I take the letter to uh, to James Collins, the, the trainer. I said, uh, I said, James, what is this? He reads the letter. He said, um, well, you you tested you tested positive for this uh, for this banned supplement, which is performance Hansen or whatever. I said, um, well, okay, what do I do? He said, uh, you got to talk to the NFL. You got to talk to the agent. I do all this stuff. Um, so anyway. I sent the list of what I was taking to the NFL and they basically told me, they said, Hey, look, you can't take this. I said, guys, it said, I made a mistake. I was taking into this offseason. when I was working out and stuff. No problems. You guys test me. We just, it's on the list. Now you can't take it. And I said, okay, what, what do I do? You said, whatever you do, you put in your body, it's on you. I said, guys, I mean, look, here it is. I'm showing you what it is. Doesn't matter. You put it in your body you took it it's your fault. So I'm initially I'm thinking like I was going to get a um a fine, right? You you know fine me for whatever and whatever whatever and um they said no no, no it's a it's a four game suspension. I said, "Guys, you got to be kidding me." Here it is. It's right here. I'm not hiding anything. This is what it is. And um they told me to it doesn't matter. Now, throughout that process, man, I didn't even really, un- I didn't really know. I wasn't counting that I was tested 19 times from that. And it was, um, it was actually Roger Goodell who put that out there in the media because he thought it was wrong of how I was getting portrayed for that time. He did that. He said, Sean, because he saw the media criticism. And mind you, this was a time where, like, Barry Bonds, the Balco stuff. And, I mean, this was, like, the heated moment of that performance-enhancing er- uh, era. And so I'm like, hold on, do not loop me in with no bio code and all this. I ain't, I wasn't seeing no doctors, or no people, like none of that. This is what I was doing, but I got looped in, which was a really big deal. And um, so anyway, I, I talked to the NFL. I realized I was going to have to take uh, the suspension at some point in time. I appealed it just so I can talk to the NFL about what they were going to do. And I knew that it was coming and there was nothing I can do about it, man. And that was That was a hard time for me because what what happens is when that comes, when you get hit for something like that, it kind of negates all your hard work and everything you put in it because people will quickly say, oh, that's why he was good because of this. Well, I was all ACC in college. I was the number one player coming out of D.C., uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. You don't just come out the wound and just go to the NFL and you become this guy. You just don't. Regardless of of what people say, it just is don't and and truthfully, and I'm probably sure you know guys that was really doing it and go out there and get slammed around and was any good. They were bums, right? I mean, I've seen it. So it was it was a it was a difficult time for me um, as far as because you can't do anything. It is what it is. You go you 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 put yourself in that position. And now you got to deal with it. And the only thing that I was trying to do after that was go out and get back on the field and take somebody's head off. I was like, that was the only way that I could come back from this thing. And I did. You know, that's why they ended up making that rule because I ended up having 17 sacks that, that year in 12 games. Um, and I was so pissed off during that time that all I wanted to do was get back on the field and prove that, hey guys, this this wasn't it. Like, that this is this is some BS. It was a mistake. And and I'm not this uh this person to make me that on the field. Yeah. But one one good thing that I did get out of that um during that time, it was it was around Hurricane Katrina. And so during my suspension, I I went to go stay in New Orleans and I was helping, you know, rebuild homes and I was down and I got a chance to see that. Um, and I kind of I had to get myself away because you can't go to the facility Right. when you're out that whole time, you can't go around the team, you can't do so. Now you just an outcast and looking at everything, you can't talk to nobody, nobody wanna talk to you. Um, So that was really the only good thing that came out of that. Everything else, man, about that sucked.
0: Man, I don't know how many interviews you've done over the years, probably a million, but you had to get that off your chest. It sounds like Merriman because you broke that down. And it's funny because we're football players and obviously our default is being tough. And I heard you in the middle of responding to the question say it was a difficult time, but you kept going. But how difficult was it? Because remember, the perception of you instantly changed. Even with me, I was like, Merriman's a baller. God, he's better than me. He's a beast. Oh, he's on steroids? Oh, forget that. If I were on steroids, I would have been better than Merriman. How did you deal with that, that night and day perception change about who you were as a player?
1: Yeah, you you have to, in that sense, because mind you, I used to see some guys, and I'm like, dude, that dude on something. I, I would say I would say that myself until I got hit. I was like, man, you see somebody that look crazy, that just look like a freakish athlete. The first thing I would say, I was like, man, that dude gotta be on something. And not knowing, you know, I get hit, <laughs> and, and that comes out, they like, that dude on something. And I'm like, God damn, that's it. <laughs> but um, as tough as that was at that time, I always remember myself sleeping in the back of that car or, or being in that shelter or that eviction notice on your door, or coming back and seeing your house burnt. Like my, my perception of what a bad situation was totally different. As an athlete, that definitely put a stain and a black eye um, on my career and what I've done. But in the grand scheme of things, man, I was like, uh, not, nothing's worse than to knowing not where, you, where you're going to live, you know, or if you're going to eat today, like nothing's worse than that. Uh, you know, I can I can pay my you know miss my four games, pay this fine, do whatever I need to do, get back on the field, and continue to do my thing. But nothing nothing was worse than that. Yeah, those experiences, that upbringing, those conditions
0: built you up so you can handle those situations. But your body start breaking down. Look, I'm the same guy, brother, in my prime. I was robbed of it because of injury. Talk about the fact that you had that validation of 17 sacks in 12 games. See, I'm not on steroids. Look, you can't do that if I were on it. Mm -hmm. But then you couldn't support that fully. You kept breaking down and the injury started to pile up.
1: Yeah. I mean, that following year, I was all pro too. I mean, I, I had double digit sacks and things like that, but Um, You know, we played at a Tennessee game and, you know, I was targeted, man, by uh, Kevin Mowai and the other left tackle, Stewart. And they came after me because they thought that I hit Vince Young, who was my boy at the time. And the very next play or two, they came after me and I popped my knee. I heard they both 25 yards away from the play. Uh, I think it might be somewhere on YouTube if you want to go check that out. But, you know, everybody knows about what happened, at least. Um, and I popped my knee. And then from that point on, it was just never the same. Right. It was, after I tore my knee the first time, I never had a big knee injury where I missed anything. Um, you know, I came back that that after uh, like a game or two later. And, uh, you know, I ended up going to Pro Bowl that year and all pro. But I was barely hanging on by by a thread, man. I was hanging on by a thread, And then I came back, rushed it back, started to compensate. And I tore my Achilles. And ultimately the knee the knee I came back from, and I, I felt like I was you know 95 percent of myself, maybe ninety percent of myself still, it was Achilles when I told that that Rap. that was it I, I became I was out there hobbling around and trying to just i would, at that point I was just trying to stay in the league I mean at, at that point, I was just trying to stay out there and and mentally keep with it, but I knew that I wasn't the same guy anymore. Yeah,
0: man. uh. You're just taking me back to those days where you're battling the retirement conversation, knowing that you're better than some, if not many players still out there, but you're never as good as you know you can be. Talk about that moment where you're like, oh, the best Merriman is probably behind me. What do I
1: do next? Well, the truth of the matter is we're the, we're the last ones to know we need to retire. Right? Like, <laughs> We're the last ones. Everybody else looking like, hey, man, you need to get your ass up out of there. And for us, because physically, athletically, we're we're the top of the food chain when it comes to everything. But what takes the great athletes and what all we do is our mental aspect of going higher and doing more and pushing ourselves more than everybody else. And so our mental is still telling us we could do it. Our body is telling us, no, you can't. And so (laughs) it it took me a little bit to come to grips. Now I still play, I played okay in Buffalo. I I wasn't a bum, but I just, I wasn't even close to where I was. Um, but, It was, it was a point of, I I lost the explosion. I couldn't be consistently a game changer. That part of me was gone. And so you have to come to grips. Uh, that you can't do some of the things you, you used to do anymore, and that is the biggest punch out of everything. I started watching film. Um, I remember we playing Cincinnati one game, and I was like, this tackle was blocking the hell out of me. And I said, this was three years ago, dude. I would Slam. I would have had three full sacks on you. I would have, oh, yeah. well, come on. I would have fried right, you right. by now. And it, it got to a point where I'm like, I knew it was time. And I remember going to the GM, uh, Doug, Doug Whaley, the GM at the time for Buffalo, and so I, I basically told him, "I, you know, I, I don't know. I might be going after this year." I, I said, I, "I'm coming back," but then again, there might be a chance that I might be, you know, wrapping it up. That might be done at that point, man. It's like, hey, do you go to another team? Do you try to? I, I couldn't do the three, four teams. And st- I don't. I didn't have that in me to do, man. I did. What's
0: wrong with that, Merriman? I did four.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, so I think for for everybody else, that was it. But I, I felt like I had. Um, I had bigger things to do that was going to, you know, prohibit me from growing the brand and moving on at the at the place that I wanted to. And and that was that was was why my all I could have came back, played another year or two. I would have been, you know, a guy in the field and doing stuff or whatever. Um, The Buff the bills offered for me to come back. They offered me another deal to come back. They wanted me to come back. But I started looking at the, the minimum, right, the minimum salary, what you're doing. Don't don't get me wrong, which is great money. I don't care how you look at it. Great money, but taxes, this, you're you're stuck somewhere seven months. You can't go and sit down at any meetings or all the sacrifices that you make. And I said, what am I really sacrificing, you know, $650,000 for? Yeah, man. I said, it's not not worth it for me.
0: I had a parallel story, brother. Let me tell you, when I was playing my last year in Jacksonville, one of my four teams that Merriman would have never played for four teams. uh, I'm out there, dog. This young tackle was blocking the hell out of me like you saw. But this happened in live time, prime time. And I'm walking back to the huddle after getting just almost pancaked. And the kid screams out, damn, Wiley, what happened to you? I grew up watching you. You fell off. And bruh, I looked at myself in the mirror that I wasn't in front of and said, hey, bruh, (laughs) it's about to end quickly on me, man. But you're smart because you were not just a baller, but you were a brand. And now that brand, Lights Out, is doing amazing things in terms of business and ventures. Talk to me about the Lights Out brand.
1: Yeah, so uh, Lights Out Extreme Fighting. Um, We're currently on Fubo, Fubo TV, Fubo Sports. Uh, We just actually, I just uh, got an an extra year. So we'll be on it all of 2023 on Fubo TV. Congrats. Um, Which has been a great partner, man. And and I'm looking to, to grow the brand through Fubo. And great relationships there. And we got some big stuff coming. Also, our next fight is December 17th in Riverside, California, one of the live Nation buildings out there. And so, you know, I really got on that side, man. I started training MMA, surprisingly enough, while I was playing. Um, I saw that. My first offseason doing it, I just thought I was going to get into it and, you know, work my hand-eye coordination and agility, be able to open up my hips and get better with football. And I fell in love with the sport. And so, over the years, I started to spend more time doing, you know, MMA stuff. Over the years, and in 2018, I launched Lightside Extreme Fighting, uh, initially on on Fox Sports regionals, and then um, you know, we we had a great partnership with Fubo Man. So, you know, we're looking to really just grow that, grow the brand, working with Fubo and all this tech stuff that we're doing, and and just it's a fun thing, man. Because all your and I'm sure you've been to this thing where you have all these great ideas, you can do all this stuff and you can't pull the trigger because it ain't yours, mm. right? And so like now I, I spend time with my writers, my tech guys, developers. And I'm like, man, I want to do this. I want to do it. And then all these crazy ideas of mine, everybody around me, my team formulates it and put it down and make it happen. Um, and so that's probably the funnest thing about this business. Man,
0: what a duality. What a, what a great existence because it's funny, you created a brand and it was actually created off of you just balling. And becoming lights out is going to live a lot longer than obviously the plays you can make on the football field. Someone asked me this question about you before, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. How does Sean Merriman perceive himself as a better baller or a bigger brand?
1: I, I say a bigger brand. And the reason why I say that, because. In 2006, I bought the name and rights in trademarks for lights from another company called PJ Savage, a big company out of Irvine. Uh, so I bought that in six from them and I and I started to create it. Um, and so in a sense, it became this character on the field, the blue mohawk and, you know, hitting everybody and sack dance and all this stuff. So it, it I just knew it was going to be something way bigger than I ever could be on the field. Right. We all know that time. Whether you play eight years, or 18 years, it's still such a short part of your life. Yes. And uh, one of the hardest things to do out here is building a brand, because when you build a brand, brands stay around a lot longer than I'll probably be breathing air out here, (laughs) Um, especially when you breathe it you build it right. And I look at everybody, including yourself, man, I, I applaud you for just your longevity and just being in media and doing all this stuff, because people understand it's really hard, really easy to do something great for a short period of time. But when you build something so sustainable, and it takes you a decade plus to do, it'll be around for three decades, four decades, and and that to me, the ultimate goal and picture, and um, how you build something for longevity. So as much as as I love playing football, I think that football is is a God created sport because everybody can't do it. <laughs> um, but also in the in the sense, uh, you know, what, what I'm doing now, building a brand. You know, this thing is, you know, it's going to be the Walt Disney of sports. Lights Out will be the Walt Disney of sports. And I'm currently actively doing it. And that's where, you know, 14 hours of my day go, seven days a week. Mm, That's
0: called commitment, man. And way to profess it, brother. Speak it into existence, man. Well, we got to finish up with some fun, some lighthearted questions real quick. Little Lights Out, in or out on these topics right now. In or out and why? Let's start off with the NFL rules on hitting. You hit, you're in or
1: out on these? Surprisingly, I'm in, man. I'm in. I'm in. Yes, yeah, same I, I, here, I'm brother. In. Let's hear um, it. You know, I got my nickname. It was a time that it was encouraged, and it was a time that you needed to play that way and how we grew up and playing the game. Um, now that we know uh, the the ramifications of playing that way, I'm glad that they just, they're it's taking care of guys. Love that. Love that. Talk to me about... Conor McGregor, in or out, Mr. Martial Artist? In. I'm in. And, and the reason why is uh, you need guys like that of, of the sport. And there's no better marketer in, in all of combat sports than Conor was. I mean, there's no better marketer. You know, his mouthpiece, his, his entertainment, <laughs> even if he's not the same fighter. I mean, when he broke his leg and still talking trash about somebody else's wife in the cage, I mean, that, that to me is the all-time promotion. You're sitting there, your bone is, 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 is crooked, you're broken, and you find a way to, to just be more entertaining. And That's what this sport is about. and You give the fans what they're looking for. And he built a brand that's going to last a
0: lot longer than those matches. Speak on it. Uh, the last one, we just saw each other at SoFi Stadium for the Chargers Legends weekend. And one of our former teammates, Jamal Williams, was inducted into the Chargers Wall of Fame. Sean Merriman, lights out, inducted into the Wall of Fame of the
1: Chargers. In or out? Um, that's tough, man. That, that's tough. Yeah, that's why I asked. That's why I asked. I'm going to say in <laughs> first. I'll say that. I'll say in. But it's a tough answer for me because I believe in longevity. And so no matter what I feel about my time period or be being excited in that short period of time or what I, was, what I accomplished or what I could have done, if I was healthy, I didn't. And so, you know, while I say, yeah, if I was healthy three more years, I probably would have been got a gold jacket. I probably would have did this. I probably did that. If I was healthy, healthy a couple more years, it didn't happen. Um, and I take this back to what Prime said, you know, Deion Sanders said about people being in the Hall of Fame. It shouldn't be there. I agree with that um because it's about longevity it's about putting up numbers for a long period of time now yeah was i exciting was i you know explosive you know did i have the nfl on their heels at one point absolutely Yes. but it, it's it's about longevity and that's how you classify somebody in and out but in as far as the impact i had with the the city and the team and stuff like that and, and my teammates and, and what i created during that time period that's why i'm saying that man this has
0: been a great experience man because reading about your upbringing and knowing you, no matter what was thrown your way, no matter what you had to face and endure, there's a positive result, positive response that always comes from Sean Merriman, man. And that's truly the mark of great character that no matter what you put yourself into, no matter what comes your way, you're gonna come out on the other end a better person for it, man. Much respect to your lifestyle. appreciate you brother for doing this for me. My dude. Appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks. My dog. That's going to do it for more to it. Check the show notes for all the information on our guests and topics today. You want to keep the conversation going? Let's talk. You can find me on all socials at Marcellus Wiley. More to it. Is brought to you by Dan Patrick Productions, Dat Dude Entertainment, Workhouse Media, and Jam Street Media. The show is executive produced by Dan Patrick, Marcellus Wiley, Paul Anderson, Nick Pinella, and Maddie Stout. I'm Marcellus Wiley. Thanks for listening, and thanks for those reviews. They help. There's more coming for more to it. Talk to you next week.